Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Welcome to another edition of Spill the Tea. Uh, this is not Sal Nuzo, the voice of the Vice President for Public Policy here at JMI. It is Bob McClure, President and CEO of the James Madison Institute. With me here today is uh, Logan Paget, our Vice President for Communications and Public Affairs. Sal is where today, Logan? He's, He's always in somewhere. DC. He's in Washington, <laughs> D.C. He's in the belly of the beast, uh, up there uh, trying to... Um, Advance good public policy uh, in D.C. and across the country. But nevertheless, we're without Sal today. I have the great fortune to have Logan here with me. And uh, so let's get going. Let's dive right in. There's a lot going on. Merry Christmas. We can officially Mm -hmm. say that now, even though my tree's been up for a couple weeks. We did have that debate. You can say Merry Christmas. As we tape this, we are officially into the Christmas season, Mm -hmm. post-Thanksgiving. Uh, so you can decorate in my house. You can decorate anytime you want, and you can say Merry Christmas from now, really, till January first. Let me ask you this: How long after Christmas do you keep your oh, tree? Oh, mine up? goes down January first. Yeah. I just like a clean slate after right. the holidays right. and um, going back. I, I do kind of have a little like I go into this uh, feeling when I take everything down that my house is like super bare now, right. <laughs> and I've got to go out and go shopping for right. like more home decor because I'm. I had all this Christmas stuff out, and now it's all gone. But, yeah, I agree uh, with I you. But I do like a fresh, clean slate, yeah. January 1, start a new year. But I'm not one to take my tree down like the 26th. Like, we keep it up oh, no. till yeah. the New Year's. The holiday season yeah. goes through New Year's, I and agree. then it comes down. I agree. Yeah. Well, there's a lot going on, obviously, in the state of Florida and across the country. Um, as we sit here and tape this, they're still counting votes in Arizona, which is stunning, mm-hmm. and California which yeah. is stunning. Um, they're still counting votes in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of these states with mail-in ballots, they have to be postmarked by voting day. Um, it's just amazing what's happening. Uh, California and Colorado are kind of set to the side. There doesn't seem to be as much drama as what's going on, for example, in Arizona. Right. In what do you Arizona, think? Arizona, they've still got a candidate, uh, Carrie Lake, that won't concede mm-hmm. and... Um, the reason being is in uh, Maricopa County, which is Arizona's largest county on Election Day, they had 71 polling stations that were unable to read ballots um, because of printer ink problems. So what they did was they told voters, go to a different location, deposit your ballots in those boxes over there, and they'll be counted at another location. And so a lot of people say that prevented people from voting. They don't know if their vote was actually counted. Um, and so, yeah, so you've got uh, Maricopa County, another county that are not certifying the votes um, and a candidate that won't concede because of the fact. Right. And so you have also Cochise County mm-hmm. voted two to one against certifying the votes in Arizona. Right. So it's um, it's kind of a mess in Arizona. And the, the, the difficult thing and the hard thing is that all of this could have been avoided. Arizona yeah. with a Republican governor, Governor Ducey, and a Republican-controlled legislature before this election could have easily fixed its problems from 2020 if they had only done what we have done in Florida. And in fact, um, for our listeners, uh, post-2020, when you had the debacle in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Arizona and Georgia and 
all of these kind of problem children states, Wisconsin, I think, was another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we at the James Madison Institute kind of produced a paper on how to protect election integrity. And what that simply means is easy to vote, hard to cheat. Mm-hmm. And we released that in 2020. We worked in over a dozen states to help advance good policies. And yet Arizona still has this mess. Well, and Georgia is in the same situation. They've got a runoff next week um, between their two candidates. And I know there uh, there was a, a recent report or data that came out from the general election last month that indicated there were 25,000 um, Georgians that may have voted illegally because right. they moved to a different county, re-registered, voted in a county that they weren't currently living in. And that's enough to... Um, really uh, tip the scales. And yeah. so how are voters going into a, a runoff uh, with an election that was so close last month supposed to um, really think that this uh, election next week is going to be safe? And that's 25,000 that they're aware of. And right. uh, Raphael Warnock only want, beat Herschel Walker by about 35,000. So right. you think about the number there. Uh, just an anecdotal story about that in Atlanta. My daughter lives in a rental house in downtown, not downtown Atlanta, in midtown Atlanta. And when she first moved in, she got four or five uh, ballots mailed to her. And they were simply the names of the previous people who had rented from that location. Now, that has been three years. That was before Georgia passed its legislation. So I don't know where they are now. But if you extrapolate that out Mm -hmm. across the entire state, um, that's that's a stunning number. Yeah. Um, and and ripe for abuse. Yeah. And a a similar story. I lived in Chicago for a few years and, um, now I have not lived in Chicago for eight or nine years at this point. And this past election, I was getting texts and phone calls from candidates. Um, are you, have you updated your registration? Are you registered to vote in Illinois? And I have not lived there in eight years. Right. And so I, I, really believe I could have gone and registered to vote in Chicago and voted yeah. in two different states. And there's a way I to probably fix could this. have figured out how to do it and right. done it and voted illegally. And this can be fixed. I mean yeah. Florida has done it. It's um you know we have all forms of of voting in Florida. We have day of obviously we have mail in we have um all the different forms of voting in we have multiple days of voting uh and 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 yet we knew by 9 p.m. Central, because Florida has 22 million people. We have 800 people moving here a day. We have two different time zones. And yet we knew by 9 p.m. Central who would won every race up and down the ballot in the state of Florida. That shows you it can work. And the sheer number of people, percentage of people who voted was astronomical. Mm -hmm. And so what we've tried to do at JMI is to take that successful Florida story and share it uh, and export it to these other states to help them get it right. Because it doesn't matter which party you're a part of or if you're an NPA, if you don't have faith in elections and the results of those elections, it 
changes the state and national mood regarding everything. People are distrustful of each other and yeah. you know it it tears at the fabric of the civic mindedness that is America. Well, look at the voter turnout that we have. I mean, if people don't feel like their vote actually matters and counts, right. not only does it not matter, but it doesn't it may not even be counted. What is the incentive for them to even go out to the right. polls and vote to begin with? Right. So. Right. And one more thing before we, so at this moment, uh, I think the Republicans have 220 in the House. They needed 218 to take the majority. There are still two um, House seats, one in California, one in Colorado, that are being uh, still counted. And then in the Senate, it's 50 to 49 yeah. Democrats. So yeah. they will retain control. The, the question is by how much. Right. Whether or not um, Kamala will be the, right. the uh, tiebreaker. Right. So moving on, um, we've got to talk about what's going on with the rails. Yep. Um, it, it seems like um, in 2022, uh, railroad should not be uh, a big deal. But but what's going on and, and the stakes are, are really high. Um, so for months, uh, there's been a dozen different railroad uh, unions that are, are repping like 115,000 American workers. And they have been negotiating a contract. Um, right. Rail workers are wanting more pay. Um, but ultimately, the reason why they're they're kind of at a gridlock is they have zero sick days, uh, paid sick days um, that they are allowed to take. And so um, there's there was a few unions that rejected that deal. And so now what's happening is um, Congress is getting involved and they can do so. Um, right. There was a, a law that was passed in 1926 that allows Congress to impose a contract on rail companies in order to prevent a strike. Um, and so, um, like I said, it doesn't seem like it should be a big deal, but almost 30% of um, U.S. cargo uh travels by rail. That's, so, a, that's a huge number. And so um, yeah. this could potentially escalate inflation. It could um, lead to food shortages. Um, the economy is already tipping into a recession, if not already into a recession. Massive and supply chain issues. That's right. And so you've got... Um, President Biden that's really pushing Congress to make this deal happen, obviously, because he's already facing right. um, almost double-digit uh, inflation rates. And so, um, yeah, I think that we should really be paying attention to this and yeah. uh, uh, as we go into the holiday season and um, the next quarter and what that looks like. Yeah, trains and trucks across yeah. the country uh, carry uh, goods and um you know um oil and gas and and all it's this is not amazon or ups making your christmas present late right this is gas and fuel and foodstuffs and mm -hmm. uh, all things related to agriculture and that kind of stuff and, and it's, it's almost 800,000 american workers too, right. that we're talking about right. um so well uh i saw where uh senator rubio ha came out and yeah. has said that he will not vote to force them. Yeah, he's standing uh, with right, the workers. Right, in its um, current form, Yeah, whatever yeah. that means. Yeah. Uh, it's not to say he won't change his mind, mm -hmm. uh, but certainly Senator Rubio has come out against that. But this is a major issue that no one's talking about. It's like you don't think about or your electricity until it goes out or your power until it goes out. Yeah. And you don't think about railways until they're not delivering. And so this yeah. this is a major issue to watch. I think they've got until December 9th is right. the deadline. And I've seen estimates of like $2 billion a day that this is going to cost if they can't work out a deal. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. All right, moving on. Um, 
Merriam-Webster every year uh, picks a or selects a word of the year. Um, have you heard what the word of the year is for this year? I have not. It is gaslighting. And do you know what their def- the definition uh, that will be in the dictionary for gaslighting is psychological manipulation over an extended period of time that causes the victim to question the validity of their own thoughts. Right. Um, and so it has uh, Merriam-Webster's website says it is up 1,700% more than in previous years. <laughs> so people are using the word oh, yeah. gaslighting. People use it all They're the time. They're looking up what that means. Right. Um, we constantly uh, on our staff are having to make sure that we're using the correct lingo. We've got people on staff that are making sure that, um, you know, our, our speech is up to date. And so, right, right. Uh, yeah, so now gaslighting will be in the dictionary and it's the 2022 word of the year. Um, but do you know where the word comes from? I did not know where gaslighting okay. comes from. I looked it up. Okay. All right. I What'd you find up. out? Um, so there was a hit play um, back in uh, a good year, 1938, um, called Gaslight. It was and a good year. The, um, it was a, a, a play. Was the, it was a thriller where basically a man was convincing his wife that she was going insane by telling her that she's imagining the dimming of the gaslights right. in their apartment. Um, and so somehow that play, Gaslight, and the psychological thriller of, of um, being convinced that she was imagining this has now turned Gaslight into a verb where you can gaslight somebody. Where you actually are doing some sort of psychological yeah. um, component on them and they think they're struggling with whether they think they're going crazy or not. Based yeah, whether on or not their thoughts are really valid. Right, right. Yeah. You know, I've always been fascinated by the origin of words. And so in this instance, you have to wonder who came up with this word and where did it come up from? I'm sure with extensive research from our crack uh, staff here at JMI, we could find out, but it's just amazing how that word worked its way into our um, our conversation, and now it is used virtually everywhere you turn, whereas yeah. a few years ago, it was non-existent. Yeah. I'll wow. be interested to see what uh, new hip word will be right. next year. N- this time next year. Yeah. Correct. All right. Um, cryptocurrency has mm-hmm. been in the news a lot lately, and I think that um, there's an interesting Florida story um, that I uh, recently saw. So in Miami... Uh, Miami's kind of really gone all in on cryptocurrency. It certainly has, yes. They've bought into it. Um, And not only is Miami a big cryptocurrency hub, it is a big like nightlife club hub. Right. And so um, many of the clubs, if not all of them in Miami, accept cryptocurrency as a form of payment. And so um, there was a particular club in Miami where, um, and I guess in, in my mind, all of these cryptocurrency guys are going to renting out clubs and ordering right. top shelf and right. so uh they're they're spending a lot of money at these places and so at this one particular club that accepted cryptocurrency they processed six million dollars worth of transactions in the last year and the same place only processed ten thousand dollars worth wow in the last three months yeah so um i don't really pretend to understand what's going on in the cryptocurrency world, but I know that there's a a market uh, collapse that's happening and it's being felt. 
um, here in Florida and in Miami um, at these different businesses that have bought into cryptocurrency and and started accepting it as a a form of payment. Right. And it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what it does to the city and the county of Miami and Miami-Dade County. Right. You know, Sam uh, Bankman-Fried, the founder of FTX, uh, they were going to name the Miami Heat uh, NBA Arena after FTX. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Fried, and they pulled that deal, right. So the bottom dropped out of his investments. Um, The shakeout. Which that guy is like, he's got to stop talking. Like all the interviews that he's doing, I'm like, that's a whole different conversation. But I'm like... You, you got to stay quiet. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. But yeah. what it means to Miami and the future of Miami-Dade County is is uh, is really going to be interesting to see what yeah. happens. You know, Warren Buffett called it over a year ago. He was asked about cryptocurrency, and he said, I will never touch it because mm-hmm. it's not a good or service, and it's not backed by anything, any asset. Yeah. And so he said, you know, I'll never touch crypto, and lo and behold, here we are. Yeah. It's amazing. Let's talk about sports. Talking about sports, congratulations. It's hard to say, but congratulations to the Seminoles for winning the uh, Florida-Florida State game for the first time in four years. Ranked number 13. Ranked number 13th. We're now, as we record this, we're waiting on bowl season for the Florida schools. Uh, Not sure where FSU's going or Florida or UCF or Miami. I I really am hoping that FSU will play UCF at, you know, either in Jacksonville or I've got um, siblings that Mm -hmm. went to uh, UCF. And so we're constantly debating and they're constantly saying, why is FSU ranked over UF? And I'm like, well, strength of schedule matters when your ranked opponent you beat is Tulane and ours is... LSU. Right. So, um, yeah, I think Sunday is when we find out the different bowls. Yeah. So, so it is bowl season. We move into uh, holiday Christmas season, Hanukkah season, yeah. uh, and then we move into college football bowl season. So that will be exciting. So moving into bowl season, right? Um, what would be your top four or even top six? Sure. You know, the two, the two uh, outliers. I think you have to go Georgia, Michigan, one and two. Uh, I think you have to go TCU three uh, and USC four. And mm-hmm. then I would go Ohio State five. Yeah. And then probably Alabama six. If I were ranking the schools based on the best schools, like yeah. the best playoff team, just sheer playoff team, I would go Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama. Yeah. So what happens... I just don't think TCU and USC, I think they're pretenders. But they've done their job. They can only play who they can play. So that's where we are. So what happens Saturday if LSU beats Georgia? You think they still go in as number one or Michigan moves into that slot? No, I still think they go in, but I think they probably go in as two. Yeah. And Michigan would slide over to number one. Okay. uh, And... um, it, it, you know, assuming they win the Big Ten championship, which they're heavily, heavily favored to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I would think would happen. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. It'll so we'll be see. interesting. Yes. Okay. Uh, another uh, football, we call it soccer here, but uh, talking, we got to talk about the World Cup and what's going on there. So um, the U.S. So the U.S. beat England. Well, no, sorry, they didn't beat England. It was a draw, right. but they advanced. Right. Know, I think the only sport where you can tie and still in, in advance right. in something. But right. they moved on. They played uh, Iran yesterday and um, won 1-0. to zero. But I think that that's not 
I mean, that was a big deal, but what's also being watched on the world stage is kind of what's going on behind the scenes with all the political stuff going on. Um, in Iran, there's been tons of protests, um, over, um, uh, I know one particular girl in Iran that was arrested and died while in police custody. I think that there's been other stories. And so, um, I know that the first game that they played, there were players that didn't, uh, sing the national anthem. Right. And in Iran, the, right, right, yeah. and um, they were then threatened. Um, their families were threatened right. with torture. I know at the game um, yesterday, they had members of um, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is the paramilitary sure. um, arm in Iran, uh, basically there to see whether or not their players uh, were singing the national anthem. And so, it's worth mentioning because. Regardless of how you feel about American players kneeling for our national anthem, we have to we have to agree on the fact that the freedoms that we have here in America far outweigh, I mean, what is going on in other countries where we have the freedom, whether you want to stand, sing, kneel, sit for the national anthem and whether or not you agree with that, but you are not being threatened with torture. Your family's not being threatened with torture. There's not military personnel watching what you are doing. Um, and so I, th- I think that that is uh, worth mentioning and it's, it's sad stunning, to see. Yeah, it's a stunning contrast uh, between the two countries. Iran obviously is dealing with uh, massive protests, much mm-hmm. like China. Uh, the people are rebelling against the uh, draconian measures of um, dictatorship, essentially, yeah. in Iran. Um, and... The soccer players, to your point, as you said, were threatened. Their families were threatened if they didn't, mm-hmm. quote, act right. And it is a stunning contrast to um, players that kneel uh, in yeah. America. And so um, I think it reminds us that despite our problems right. and despite what we the, the political fights that we have here in America uh, or amongst the states— um, there are countries out there and people out there in China and Iran and North Korea and other places yeah. who it really is life or limb. And it really is day to day in terms of their ability to have any form of freedom, to express any form of freedom whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so I, and it really I, I makes think, you wonder when people say that the U.S. is not the best country right. in the world. I would, you know, I always say, we'll find a place that's better. Right. Because we don't have to deal with those kinds right. of things. I agree. I agree. They beat Iran. They, um, the U.S. soccer team moves on to the, the knockout round. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing the um, response, not only from the American public, but from other countries there who were pulling for Americans. There were Iranians yes. there Pulling for Americans in the stadium. Rooting against their own country. Stunning, stunning. Because they realize what Iran is going to use this for, political gain and control and all of that. Right, and there's a video of the American soccer team uh, coming back to their hotel, and they're in the lobby, and there are all, there are, I don't know, dozens, maybe hundreds of people not of American uh, descent, Mm -hmm. American origin, who are cheering in a wild, wild way for the soccer team that beat Iran, which just shows you that the rest of the world truly looks in many ways at America as that shining city on the hill that Reagan talked about. That yeah. it is 
It is the place, it is the aspiration either to get to or to make your country more like. The aspiration is the freedoms of America. Yeah. Well, speaking of being more like, I right. want to end on, um, we've been looking at uh, Florida as a model for uh, other states, right. and we talk about that all the time. And so as a policy organization, we kind of look at where Florida uh, ranks in comparison to other states, and we've been doing some research on uh, Florida versus California. Right. Um, and I think that there's some interesting stats related to the two yeah. No, there's no doubt about it. If you look at um, various indices of, of California versus Florida comparison, so whether it's um, in-migration versus out-migration, Florida uh, in 2021 had uh, over 221,000 people moved to the state. The state of California lost over 360,000 people. Uh, yeah. If you look at... Um, you know, wealth in the billions of dollars that moved to Florida and the out-migration of the billions of dollars from California. If you look at, um, you know, U-Haul, just something as simple as going to U-Haul statistics, um, the in-migration for, uh, in the country of all 50 states, Florida is third Mm -hmm. behind Tennessee and Texas, third. Mm -hmm. California, the out the in migration to California, they're fiftieth. They're last in the country of people moving yeah. to the state of California. If you look at their state budget, their state budget is more than double per capita, that is per person, uh, than Florida's. Well, more than double. Um, so, by any index, if you look at any index, uh, Americans are choosing to vote with their feet, and they're moving to states like Florida that value capital, Mm -hmm. that value economic freedom, that value opportunity, uh, and that allow small businesses to flourish. Now, not all Californians are moving to Florida, but the point is when you contrast those two states, and in fact, I just did did uh, an interview uh, with someone on the West Coast who was asking us about the contrast between those two states. And it's obvious. You don't have to, you know, it's not even anecdotal. You don't, it's not he said, she said. You just look at the data. By every index, people, Americans are voting with their feet and they're moving to Florida. And I was going to ask you why that's the case, but you answered that with mm-hmm. the different policies uh, that we have where it's uh, easier to raise a family, uh, easier to start a business, you keep more of your money, things that are important to people. And I think the results speak for themselves because in, in um, different uh, indexings related to policy, if you look at education, right. Florida continues to be ranked um, in the top uh, couple, one, two, three, depending right. on what index you're looking at, uh, related to uh, K through 12, and then also our college systems as well. And then you've got California that's also ranked at the bottom. And so right. people are, are not only looking at um, what's important to them, but then the, the policies and the results speak for themselves because then once they come here, they realize we've got better schools and we've mm-hmm. got better healthcare systems. Um, and so, uh, yeah, interesting. And I know there's other states that are the same. You can look at New York and there's a lot of similar comparisons as well. Right. Um, and Illinois too. Yeah. Uh, people are, are leaving both of those cities in droves and coming to Florida and, it, and other places. Right. And Illinois and New York and California all have kind of the same commonalities. Their, their uh, government is too large. Their uh, 
income tax is way too high. The regulatory environment, the ability to start a small business is brutal. It's all, mm-hmm. most, much of it is environmental extremism and union run. Mm-hmm. And you look at the states, not just Florida, but Tennessee and Texas, they also have the same uh, principles in common of what we've just referenced. And that's why Americans are choosing to move to those states. Um, And the governor has said that he's going to double down on advancing economic opportunity and economic freedom in the form of school choice and growing small businesses and reducing regulations and taxes. Um, and he's very, very popular for having done so. I think safety, too, is a big concern for people. Because yes. also, if you look at those three states we just mentioned, being California, Illinois, New York, they all have astronomical crime issues right. that are happening. And then you compare that to Florida, and, and that's not necessarily the case. Right. Yeah, no. And then what a lot of people don't know is Governor Santos is so popular in Florida that he actually won the state of Florida by a higher percentage than uh, Gavin Newsom won the state of California. And many people don't know that. Mm. That's an amazing statistic when you think about the demographics of Florida, yes. virtually the same as the demographics of California, mm-hmm. incredibly diverse, mm-hmm. people moving here, multiple time zones, all of those kinds of things. And so um, when you contrast the two states... It's not even a, a close discussion in terms yeah. of where people want to live. And the governor has also said, this governor, DeSantis, has also said he's not going to ever close the economy. He's not going to ever close schools. Mm-hmm. And yet you hear just murmurs and ripples from uh, teacher union bosses and yeah. uh, healthcare bureaucrats in these other states and elected officials. Not that they're closing the state or closing schools or imposing mass mandates. But the possibilities are there. They leave the door open. And Americans are saying, I'm done with that. Yeah. Well, if you've made it this far, thank you for spending 20, 30 minutes of your time uh, listening to us uh, rant about what's going on in politics and culture and news. Um, Thank you for having me on. Glad you were here, Logan. We will uh, catch you at another episode in two weeks. That's right. Thank you all for joining us for another edition of Spill the Tea. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute, follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.